Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, welcome to Lighthouse this morning. We are so glad that you're here with us, whether you're here in the house or whether you're on the, uh, on the live stream watching from Fostori or maybe your living room. We're just glad that you've joined us today as we uh, talk about God's Word together. Uh, you may have noticed something weird about our auditorium right now. There's a oven right over there. Look at that thing. That's a big old double oven stainless steel. And you may like, what's it doing in our auditorium, right? You know, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. This was donated to us for the new building out on County Road 99 by Lowe's. Apparently, when they turn over their floor samples, they uh, give those kind of things away. So I talked to the manager over there. Somebody at Lighthouse set us up uh, to talk with him, and he donated that to our new building. So that's kind of like our first physical donation for our new building right there. Yeah. So... Someday we'll be baking cookies or something in there. <laughs> okay, yeah, we need cookie bakers. Well, today we are continuing in our, our series called Focus, Resisting the Drift Away from Jesus. Okay, now, uh, by way of introduction today, I'd like to ask you if you could uh, take a boat ride with me, just, just in our minds, okay, not a real boat ride, okay, just take a boat ride together. How many people here are boaters, like to boat? Okay, there's like nine of us. Okay, all the rest of us are smarter than that. So, okay, let's just say it's a perfect day. Okay, the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. We have a 20-foot speedboat, okay? It's behind the car, so we're going to pull that thing up to Lake Erie, and we're going to go out on the water, okay? Now, it's been hectic, okay? So we're going to get way, way out there, okay? No other people, no other noise. We're just going to be out there on the water, enjoying this beautiful breeze, the sunshine. We've got lunch with us. We're going to eat some lunch. We've got music going, okay? It's just going to be a beautiful day to just celebrate creation together. We're, we're diving off the back of the boat. We're swimming. It's just a perfect day out there, right? Well, as the day uh, comes kind of towards a close, it's kind of getting late in the day. It's time to go back, right? And so time is winding down, so I go to start the motor, right? And I turn the key, and guess what happens? Nothing, okay? It doesn't, it doesn't, nothing happens. So I'm pretty good mechanically, right? So, so I decide I'm going to check uh, the gas. We got gas. The battery seems like it's okay. I checked the hyperbolator. That's not a thing. There is no such thing as a hyperbolator. I check all the important parts inside that motor to see what's wrong, and I can't figure out what's there. So, so I'm on the key, and I get somebody back to the back. I said, just start wiggling wires. Just start wiggling stuff, and I'll keep trying to key. It's kind of this like crazy plan, okay? So it's like the three stooges, you know, like turning the key and they're like wiggling. The w- okay, the boat is not going to start. Now, if this were a real story, my wife would have realized that long before I would ever have realized that and admitted that this boat is dead in the water and we are stuck out in the middle of the lake. Now, here's the problem. That beautiful breeze that we've been enjoying... Yeah. Okay, it has been pushing us further and further and further. Not only that, it's changed directions, and we don't even know where we are. We're just out there in the middle of the lake, and the longer we're out there in the middle of the lake, the worse our circumstance becomes. 
Now, you're on the boat, and you're looking back, and you can still see land, but it's a long, long way away, and you're starting to notice something. Lights are starting to come out on buildings, okay, and you're out in the middle of the lake. Now, even if your wife had not dropped your cell phone in the water, okay, <laughs> and lost that in the, in the, in the bottom of the lake, okay, um, who would you call? You're out there in the middle of the lake. Who are you going to call? Coast Guard, call, call your wife, call your friends. Well, and what are you going to say when you get on the phone? Uh, hi, this is Larry. I'm in the middle of the lake. I don't know where I am. My boat is white. <laughs> what, what do you say? You're, just, you're out in the middle of the lake, and your problem is growing very, very rapidly. In fact, you've been drifting away without even knowing it. You're like fixing the boat, you're playing in the water, you're having lunch, you're having a good time, you're swimming, and you don't even realize that you're drifting further and further away. What are you going to do? Well, what you need, you need help, okay? You need, you need someone to throw you a lifeline and to pull you back into safety. That's what you need because you're lost. We need help. You know, the book of Hebrews is all about avoiding the spiritual drift away from Jesus. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. Sometimes it is hard to tell when you're drifting away from Jesus. It's hard to notice. You're just enjoying the day and the breeze is blowing you further and further away. In fact, there is not one Christian in this room who at some point in their life has not sensed that they were drifting away from God. And the problem with drifting is this. You always end up at an unexpected place. You're not in control when you're drifting. You're just out there. And, you're, and this is another point. It's, it's sometimes hard to find your way back when you've drifted from God. Now, we know from the context of Hebrews okay, that the people there were thinking about returning to their old Jewish roots, probably the, the religion of their grandparents. They had drifted so far from God that they no longer could figure out that that was a really, really bad idea. Think about this. The generation of their ancestors that's covered in the Old Testament, okay, they, they left Egypt, miracle, a miracle of God. They, they, they saw the miracles of God for 40 years in the wilderness. And most of them, because of their disbelief, that whole generation, they died there in the sand. Why would anybody, why would anybody, after knowing about Jesus, want to drift back to that? They weren't thinking clearly anymore. They had drifted so far from Jesus, they no longer were even thinking clearly about uh, Jesus at all. You know, people today are still tempted to drift back to old religion. Sometimes that religion is in the name of Jesus, which makes it super confusing, right? But you will never find uh, hope. You'll never find uh, help unless you find the Jesus that's recorded in the Bible, the true deal. The writer of Hebrews is admonishing us. He's admonishing us. Uh, it's, it's kind of a wake-up call, maybe. He's admonishing us to not drift from the living God to know him intimately. It's interesting that the book doesn't use an emotional argument. 
It's not manipulation. It's not angry words. It's none of that. Instead, what Hebrews does is it lays on clear truth. The antidote to drifting from Jesus is actually to have a laser focus on Jesus and know the difference. That's the antidote, not some other method or some other model. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know that. But I do think this, that a lot of what he talks about in Hebrews is very similar to what the Apostle Paul talks about in all the letters that are written to the churches to help us know God better. Sometimes things that are true kind of provide their own application. When you know what's true about sin and you know what's true about Jesus directly from the Bible, that can actually change the direction of your life, knowing what's true. So far in the book of Hebrews, we've learned that Jesus is the creator. God in the flesh, God has entered our world in the flesh so that he could die for our sins, the sacrifice for our sins. We know that, that Jesus is higher than the angels. The angels were created beings, right? And Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, Pastor Fritz admonished us to get the, I think it was the eight-point Bible reading plan, to dive into what God has said in his word about Jesus and what's true. We learned a little bit about Moses, the greatest prophet that ever lived. His his. Uh, role was actually just to point us to faith in Jesus. The Ten Commandments won't save anybody. Only faith in Jesus can save a person from their sin. Hebrews talks about Jesus being the eternal high priest of the brand new covenant with God. Now, high priest is a mediator, right? Mediating a person between them and God. Okay, that's what the, the role of a high priest is. Jesus is also the perfect sacrifice that pays for our sin. So the the high priest, the mediator, and the sacrifice, the one who forgives our sin, that's that's Jesus. And 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 the point of all of that is this. Jesus gives us direct access to God. You don't have to go through another person or through some religious ritual. You have direct access to God. We're not talking about a different religious system. What we're talking about is access to God through the mediation and through the sacrifice of Jesus in our behalf. So we're in the fifth week of focus, (laughs) resisting the drift away from Jesus. And today we're going to talk about Christ's sacrifice for all. Uh, The blood of Jesus brings salvation. It brings freedom from guilt. It is the foundation for the new covenant. It is the very foundation for our hope. And that's what we're going to dive in today. So first, I'd like to read a short passage from Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 11. And then we're going to pray after reading the passage. And then I want to talk about the biblical truth about the sacrifice of Jesus and the result of that sacrifice. And then finally, double back with some clear perspective from the Bible again on sin and forgiveness. We're just going to kind of dive into this topic through the Bible together this morning. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 11, says this. So Christ has now become our high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made with human hands, which is not part of this created world. With his own blood, 
not the blood of goats or calves. He entered the most holy place once for all time, and he secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's body from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Jesus will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For the, by the power of the eternal, that is the Holy Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for sins. That is why he now mediates, the one, he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. So that all who are called to receive the eternal inheritance from God uh, that he has promised for them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of their sins that they had committed under the first covenant. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would give us open minds, that you would give us soft hearts, that we would sense the leading of your Holy Spirit directly from the scriptures today, and that we would lean into that. Rather than having a hard heart that resists your spirit, I pray that we'll have soft hearts that listen uh, that listen as you speak to us through the words of Scripture this morning. I pray that you'd help us to push aside distractions and all the craziness that's in our world and help us to lean into the truth of what you have done in our behalf. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's talk about the biblical truth of the sacrifice of Jesus. This is the main point. The blood of Jesus confirms the new covenant between God and people. That's what the blood of Jesus does. It confirms the new covenant between God and people. Now, this new covenant is eternal. It's in the heavens. So we're not talking about a physical temple. We're not talking about the old physical tabernacle that they had in the wilderness. We're talking about the, the real thing that it, those things represented that's in heaven. Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Joel, they all talked about how the one day we would have new hearts. We would be part of that, uh, that eternal circumstance. Now, the Old Testament is quoted in, new Test in uh, Hebrews itself, and this is what it says. The Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people in that day, says the Lord. I will put their laws, uh, my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he says, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. When sins have been forgiven, there is no more sacrifice for sins. You see, the new covenant that's being talked about here is in our hearts. It's not a physical place. It's not a building. It's not in the church or the temple or, the, or anything else. It's in our hearts. The new covenant points to our sins being forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The new covenant says our sins will never be forgiven or be remembered again. The new covenant requires only one sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, and that's Jesus before God. 
Now, the Old Covenant from the Old Testament, if you've read back there, is very, very different. It's all based on ceremony. You know, back in the day, people would come to worship God and would find that they couldn't go into the holiest place, okay, where God and his presence resided. Instead, they had to stay outside. People like you and me, normal people, we couldn't walk into the presence of God. We were prohibited from doing that. A human priest had to go in on our behalf, and he would make animal sacrifices, blood sacrifices for himself first, and then for the sins of the people. And that's how that worked. He would have to do this year after year after year, because those sacrifices could never take away our sin. It was an annual reminder, okay, that I'm not good enough to get into the presence of God. That's what the Old Testament sacrifice system showed us. Now, the new covenant is based on the blood of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, it says this, With his own blood, not the blood of animals, okay, he entered the most holy place once for all, and he secured our redemption forever. Jesus bought us back with his own blood. His sacrifice made believers, genuine believers, free from sin for eternity, forever. You know, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. The Bible says that. That's what the Old Testament teaches us in the sacrificial system, that a blood sacrifice is necessary. But Jesus gave us freedom from sin because he was the sacrifice that was perfect. He's the one who satisfied God. When we participate in communion, we often read the words from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Jesus took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, we find that the sacrifice of God is permanent. It's good forever. There are no more payments to be made. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, remember, one of the things, one of the the phrases he said was, it is finished. It is finished. What he meant by that is the full payment for sin for all time had been paid there on the cross. There was no more payment for sin because Jesus paid it all. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for sins that appeared in heaven for us. We read this in verse 24 of chapter 9. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. You understand what this is saying? This is saying the, the real holy place wasn't the temple. It wasn't the, the tabernacle in the wilderness. It's not a physical place. The, the real temple exists in heaven with God. That's what it's saying. Even Solomon recognized that. He was the builder of the temple. And in his prayer of inauguration, his kind of the, the dedication of the temple, he acknowledged that God can't live in a physical place because God's a spirit. This is the picture that this verse shows us from heaven. Jesus himself appearing before God to plead your case. 
Jesus appearing before God to plead my case before the Father. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is also the perfect sacrifice. Jesus gives us access directly to God. You can pray and talk to him. What the scriptures say about the sacrifice of Jesus could be summarized in, in a whole series of things that are true because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And I just want to run down through some of those. Most of those are from Hebrews 9 and 10 and some from other places in the scriptures. But things that are true because of the sacrifice of Jesus. First, sins are forgiven by God. Psalms says it this way, as far as the east is from the west, our sins have been are forgiven. They've been removed from us. You know, the horizons never touch. The east and the west never come together. Our sins are that far from us. Guilt is gone. Believers are able to serve God because of gratitude, not because of obligation, because our sins are gone. The penalty of sin has been paid. You know, the picture in the Bible of the penalty for sin is this picture of the cross. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read it. It's our sin being placed on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness being transferred to us. The great transfer, it's an unfair transfer between Jesus and us. We gain the righteousness of Jesus, the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. Another thing that's true, you have access to God directly for genuine worship. You have the promise of Jesus' return. It's not for judgment. It's for salvation. And Christians have an internal inheritance. Fear of death is set aside because of the hope of resurrection. And this is cool. The power of sin in your life is defeated. The Bible indicates that we can be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Those who have Christ have God in them. We have new life in Christ. We have a new heart. We have a new identity. All of that is true because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross in our behalf. Consider what Paul says, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. But God had so much loving kindness... He loved us with such great love. Even when we were dead because of our sins, he made us alive by what Christ has done for us. You've been saved from the punishment of sin by his loving favor. God raised us up from death when he raised up Christ Jesus. He has given us a place with Christ in the heavens. That's how Paul summarizes what happened. He goes on to say, it's by God's, God's grace that we have been saved. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the shedding of his blood, brings eternal salvation to those who believe. It brings new life. It brings eternal life. Eternal life that begins the moment we believe. I'd like to double back now and talk a little bit about um, sin and forgiveness from the Bible's perspective. Sin is a very big deal 
with God. We live in a culture where people kind of blow that off as, you know, just ancient mythology. Something for the unenlightened mind, maybe something like that. We've advanced as a culture, they might say. We no longer talk about sin and evil and those kinds of things. Especially things from a worn out old book like the Bible. Some people, they, say that kind of thing. But, you know, I think when you consider it kind of rationally, that the Bible actually gives us a pretty clear perspective of what we see in the world going on around us. From a Bible standpoint, sin is radical autonomy from God. It's, it's me doing me. It's radical self-direction. It's me on my own path. This, is, this definition from sin can be seen all over the New Testament and the Old Testament. Sin has infected our hearts, our minds, our relationships, our physical world that we live in. Sin is everywhere all around us. I think the Bible actually reflects, reflects clearly what we see in our world. I don't think this is a distinctly Christian view, that sin runs rampant in our world. This week I was reading uh, some magazines, uh, and I was reading about what's going on in Sudan and what's going on in, in Haiti, okay? Now you can look at the newspaper, you can turn on the news and see what's going on in Ukraine. I don't think it's progressive to think that our world is getting better. You know, I, I think that's actually regressive thought. I think our world is lost in sin. Most of you have heard a teaching from the Bible from uh, Genesis chapter 3 and the fall of man. I think it's important to know that Jesus actually talked about man as an actual, or Adam as an actual historical figure. The New Testament writers refer back to sin that began in the Garden of Eden. Sin isn't just a less favorable set of choices. Sin is radical self-direction and autonomy from God. That's what sin is. It's me doing me, doing whatever I want. Some people have said that sin is missing the mark, and for sure, that's a good definition. But I think it might even go a little further to say that, that sin is actually denying that God has any right to even make the rules, let alone tell me how to live my life. Sin is pushing God to the side. There's really clear evidence in the Bible about sin going all the way back. This isn't something new. I was looking at Genesis chapter 6, and this is what it says about sin. The first time God chose to destroy the world because of sin. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. And so the Lord was sorry that he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. That's what the Bible says about sin. Sin is a very big deal to God, something that's been going on for a long time. But I think we have to move from the general case of sin out there and recognize that sin also resides right here. It resides in me. It is part of my nature, and it's the part of me that draws me away from God. Sin is in me, not just by nature, but also by choices I make, sinful choices that are not choices God would make for me. I might not be as bad as I could be, and I might not be as bad as somebody else. 
but I know that sin resides in me. Sometimes I do things I can't understand why I did. The purpose of the Ten Commandments was to show us our sin and our distance from God. That was the purpose. But without a radical transformation by the Spirit of God, our set point is self-direction. Our set point is, is autonomy from God going our own way. The prophet Jeremiah tells us that the heart of man is desperately wicked to the extent that we can't even understand the evil in our own hearts. That's how the Bible describes sin as it relates to us on a personal basis. A couple weeks ago, I heard a woman talking about uh, how God is revealing to her the depth of her sin as she studies Scripture. And I can relate to that. You know, as you get closer to God and understand who He is in His brilliance and in His beauty, you recognize your own sin. It leads to confession and, and restoration by God. Our sin separates us from God. And it's actually a gift by the Holy Spirit when we become aware of our sin so we can confess that and put it out of our lives. That's actually a gift from God when we recognize our sin. The book of Hebrews brings the result of sin before God into very sharp focus in just a couple verses. For instance, Hebrews 9.27. This is part of a bigger paragraph, but just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, the judgment of God. And then Hebrews 10.31. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hell is described in the Bible as the lake of fire. Jesus actually talked about hell. It was made for Satan and his helpers, but those who aren't believers in Jesus will be there too. Sin is rebellion against God's leadership, and hell is a, really, a real place, and sin leads to the judgment by God. That's what the Bible talks about. No one wants to stand before God alone. People who are far from God have all kinds of wanky ideas, ideas that are way, way far from the truth about sin, all kinds of stuff. Some people are afraid of hell and judgment, and they just live in fear, and they can't find hope in Christ there. They're just living in fear. Some people avoid thinking about it altogether, just go on with their life as fast as they can and just try to put it out of mind. Some people think God is just a loving father, and he's just going to turn his head and let everybody come into heaven. Everything's going to be great. And that's not a biblical picture at all. Some are trying to, many people, trying to appease God through some kind of a religious, religious ritual. Or, or, you know, the Hebrew Christians, they were planning to go back to the old rituals of the Old Testament instead of leaning into Jesus. People do all kinds of religious things. Some of those are in the name of Jesus instead of trusting what the Bible says. I think it makes sense in light of the evil that we see in our world that's pretty hard to contest and the evil that I know exists in me to think very clearly about what Jesus uh, did for us on the cross. It's essential for us to understand. For this, I'd like to go back to what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, talking about Jesus on the cross. And this is what it says. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sin. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we 
could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path for our own, and yet the Lord laid on Jesus the sins of us all. That's the gospel, what God has done for us. Even if you don't buy into the biblical teaching on sin, here's a question I'd like to ask you. What do you think it would feel like to wake up tomorrow morning and to be free from sin? To be free from bad intention, to be free from all of that. What would it, what would it feel like to wake up in the morning and to know you are forgiven by God, that you stand in right standing with him because of what Jesus has done. That's what Jesus offers to those who believe. Freedom from guilt, freedom from being found out, power over our words and actions in our lives. You know, freedom isn't the ability to do anything we want. That's a false definition. Freedom is found in a life of faith where we're walking with God. That's where freedom is found. Freedom is freedom from myself, actually. Freedom is a forgiveness. It's peace with God. It's liberation from past mistakes. It's maybe even the ability to begin forgiving other people and restoring relationships that are broken. What would it feel like to wake up tomorrow morning and to know you are free from sin? That's what Jesus offers. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross frees us from sin. This is why Jesus died on the cross. In Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26, that's probably the best summary of, of sin and forgiveness that I found anywhere in the Bible. So I'd just like to read it today, uh, beginning at verse 23, Romans 3. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet... God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, probably talking about the Old Testament, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. He makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. God is merciful. God is gracious. And each person can be saved from their sin by believing in Jesus. That's the real Jesus of the Bible. The death of Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for all sin. Salvation comes to you when you believe the message about Jesus. Sin is a big deal before God. It brings judgment. Hebrews suggests that we should think about the sacrifice of Jesus, God's own son, as he invites us to believe. 
When we celebrate communion, as we're going to do today in just a few minutes, we're celebrating the new covenant between God and men. Lasting and complete forgiveness. Freedom from guilt and shame. The power to live a new life transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us. Those are the things the Bible talks about. When you think about the whole thing that's going on in Hebrews, this is what it's talking about. God himself took on flesh and entered in our world so that he could die on the cross for our sin. And when we believe, we trust Jesus for salvation, he puts himself inside us. The Holy Spirit is in us to transform our lives and give us the capacity to walk with him. That's what Hebrews is talking about. God, by his grace, saving us. So whether you're a person who's trying to figure out whether faith is true, maybe you're not yet a believer, and you're thinking this all through, or maybe you are a believer, but you're like that guy in the boat. <laughs> You've drifted way, way far away from God, and you're not sure how to get back. Whatever camp you're in, you know the solution is the same? It's identical. This is it, from, directly from Hebrews. It's quoted like three times, I think, through the passage. When you hear God's word, don't harden your hearts. Yeah, lean in to the influence of the Holy Spirit and let God transform your life. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. Jesus, I'd like to ask you this question. Jesus, what are you asking me to do? What are you saying to me right now? We're going to sing another song here. We're going to have uh, prayer partners in the corner of the room. And you're invited to pray with somebody this morning. Just slip out of the aisle, uh, walk up to your prayer partner, and you're invited to pray with somebody. Don't ever be embarrassed to pray. Everybody needs prayer. I need prayer every day. You don't have to be part of the Lighthouse community to pray with somebody this morning. I'm going to pray for you. And then if you'd like to pray with a prayer partner, please take advantage of the prayer partners this morning. Let's pray. God, we are taken back a little bit, I am, by, by your grace and what you have done by sacrificing yourself for my salvation. I'm grateful. Right now, I pray that you would, by your spirit, work in the heart of each person here. And I pray that you would lead each person to get up and to pray with a prayer partner who needs prayer right now. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.